Well, it's good to see everyone that has been able to make it out. We've had uh, several that are traveling, several that can't be here for many, many reasons, and uh, you all know the reasons as well as I do, and we want to remember all of those that are in prayer. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Titus, uh, chapter 1. Uh, we do want to keep uh, Randy and... Uh, Nancy in prayer as they will be uh, traveling, and Nancy particularly as she's traveling north, uh, northern West Virginia, she's going to be in a teacher's conference or whatever conference she has to go to, and I pray the Lord will bless there as well. As was mentioned, we want to keep Jessica in our, in our prayers. Uh, she has wonderful opportunities, but also some challenges ahead. She needs our prayers. This, uh, this day, I'd like for us to think about what it means when an elder is called into service. And I really became um, painfully aware of so many things that uh, have been misunderstood or not really directed as they should have been. And so I want us to read from the book of Titus, and we're going to read from chapter 1. And let's see what it says here. Paul, the servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect, and, and acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through the preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not a, a accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a servant of steward of God, not self-willed, nor soon angry, not given to wine, nor a striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainslayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Let us pray. Father, now as we spend some time around thy word, we pray that you will help us to understand the things that are written. We are so blessed, Lord, of you, and uh, we are so thankful that you give us the opportunity to preach. Lord, every day I, I sense your presence, I sense your desires over top of me, and, and I pray that, Father, that I might be more attuned to the things that you give me to do. Help me, dear Father, not to waste the time that I have upon this earth, but may I be found faithful in all things. Help us, dear Father, to know the, the truth, and help us, dear Father, to understand the needs of others, that we might be faithful in our prayers, faithful in our studies, faithful in all we do according to thy wondrous grace. 
Now, Father, I pray that you will go with us and that you will help us to understand the things that are written before us. May we be used of you in a mighty way, and we will rejoice in thy name, for it's in Christ we pray, and amen. As we begin today, um, I don't know why I felt like the necessity for me to go in and look at the responsibility of what we classify as bishops or elders of our congregation. And yet, when we think about this, many times we, we are easily distracted from the things of, about the things of this world. I mean, let's put it this way. There are so many things that are out of our control especially as it seems like we're living in the midst of all this form of evil. And it seems like so many people want to point their fingers and say, if you were really a man of God, you would do this. If you were really a man of God, this should be in your stead. But may I point this out to you, that we have a responsibility all the days of our life to walk in faithfulness. Now, once we train up our children and they go out on their own, then we, we really have no more responsibility except to try to be uh, good stewards not only to them but to their children as well. However, this topic is not about our families as much as it is about the responsibility that we have as men of God to preach the word and also how does that affect our families. Now understand this is that many years ago uh, when I was called to be a, a, the preacher, you know, to go in and, and face the world, I thought that it would be easy. Let's put it this way. I thought that, man, when I preached the Word of God, everybody would want to come in and, and just hear the message. They would just flock in, and they just couldn't wait to hear the truth of God's Word. Well, there's a, there's a real reality check there, because most of the time, people don't want anything to do with God. And it's sad that even churches are filled with the fact that they don't want anything to do with God. And it's sad to me that so many of our congregations that are in this world, they don't want to spend time around the preciousness of God's Word. It excites me when I go into someone's home and there's Bibles or they're ready for a Bible study. In fact, I'll, I'll share this with you. Many years ago when I was in California, we had a lady that uh, she had not been able to attend church in a while. And I'm just going in to pay my respects and make sure that she was doing okay. I did not go in for a Bible study. And I sit down and I visited her with a little bit. She said, okay, I'm ready. And she grabbed her Bible and she opened it up. She goes, start. She was ready for me to bring a Bible study. I had no clue that's what her expectation was. But it really does challenge us when we want to think about being instant in season and out of season when someone wants to hear about the Word of God. Now, what's interesting, as I begin to look at this, I look at what is required of me and what is required of the world. Now, it's easy for me to take my eyes off God. Please understand this. And because I can take my eyes off God, I, I know that there are things that are in my life that need a constant double check. And sometimes I, I talk to other people who are of similar uh, thinking is my own, and they say, it's easy for me to get my eyes off God as well. So how do we, how do we correct that? How do we make sure that everything that we say and do is correct, such as when people say, well, how can you call yourself a preacher if you do X, Y, and Z? How can you call yourself a man of God if you do this or if you do that? In fact, I'll give you one that I want to answer today. Was Peter put on the shelf or not? How many of you have ever heard that before? That the Apostle Peter was actually put on the shelf because of something he did in Scripture. I've had that face me. 
And as I study the Word of God, I find nothing that says that Peter was ever put on the shelf. Peter was Peter. He made mistakes in his life. He was a human being just like you and I are. And he made mistakes. And the reality is, if we look at it very closely, we can see what is there. So what are the qualifications? I want you to get this with me, if you will. Hold your place in the book of Titus. We'll come back here shortly. And let's go back over a couple of chapters to chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. And let's read together the qualifications. And we're going to start with the deacon. Now, we are blessed in our congregation that we have uh, two fine deacons, and we have two fine deacon wives that are with us as well. But when we go down to verse 8, we find the qualifications of a deacon. Look what it says. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, and not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. By the way, where it says of the elder not given to wine, where it says of the deacon not given to much wine. In other words, a preacher must be sober all the time, a deacon can have some relaxation. We'll leave it at that. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let them also first be uh, be, uh, be proved. Let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling over their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of the deacon will purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come to thee shortly. Now, I want to conclude there for the moment, but I want you to get this. When we take a look at the, the office of the deacon, this is the only one that mentions the responsibility of the wives. Now, we do understand that the pastor should be the husband of one wife, you know, as well. But when we think about the deacon, let's just focus on him just for a moment. The responsibility of the deacon is the the answer or the call that is in their heart. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. Again, let's hold our place here, and let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 6, for this is the first place that we find that the deacons are mentioned, in Acts, chapter 6. And the question that came up was really a, a dispute that, that happened in the church of Jerusalem between the Grecian churches, or the Hellenistic Jews, and the Jewish people that were there in, uh, in Jerusalem at the time. Look at verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians. And if you look again in the Hebrew or in the, uh, the Greek text, it will say Hellenistic Jews against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. In other words, they, they felt like that there was a sliding that occurred with the women folk, not the men folk, but of the women folk, maybe it was because of the Lord's Supper, maybe it was something else, but there was a fault that was occurring. Verse 2, Then the twelve called them all to the disciples, meaning all of them, and said to them, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out amongst you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now I want us to stop for a moment at verse 3. Reality of verse 3 is that it speaks of the qualification of the deacon in this fashion. Number one, they have to be of honest report. Now, I am really thankful that both Greg and Joe are of men of honest report, but do you realize that Everything that is housed in this church, 
begins with our deacons, not necessarily with the pastor. Because the deacons, as they are called upon to serve, they are called upon to be men of integrity. It's interesting, I remember many years ago that uh, one of the definitions of integrity, as was presented by James Dobson, was what men will do when, when they are in the private, in their private time. Like if you go to a motel, you know, is that when you're going to look at pornography? Is that when you're going to uh, lead the men that you want to go back to your base nature? Where men of integrity will be men that have, they want to talk about the things of God. One of the things that happened in my own life was many years ago, there was a, uh, Brother Dallas Lloyd and myself, we went to a Bible conference where it was a men's retreat. And uh, what was funny is, Dallas and I didn't always see eye to eye on things. I think he had a great love relationship with the former pastor. And yet, of all the people, those two of us were the only ones that were roomed together. Well, as was the nature is, we had two keys. We both left our keys in the room and we were locked out. And Dallas said, I don't know what to do. Well, I went in and I, I was able to break in through the window, long story short, go into the room, break it open and open it up. And it just seemed like that time that we spent together drew us closer together. I understand what he thought about the things of God. He understood what I saw in the things of God. There was a great relationship that was established because of honest report. Look what else it says. They have to be full of the Holy Ghost. Now what that means is, instead of being full of the things of the flesh, they feed upon the things of the Holy Ghost in their lives. They, they, look, to, they look to the Holy Ghost for answers. And, and let's put it this way. It doesn't mean that they aren't leaning upon the congregation. But the reality is, is that when they speak, I really believe it's so they are delivering the oracle of God to God's people. Look what else it says. And wisdom. There's the oracle of God. There is the wisdom of God. You know, many times people fail to realize what that oracle was. It wasn't some mystic thing. And you know, a lot of people like to take and they like to borrow something that is mystic. But think about this. There have been so many cases where deacons can speak and their honesty comes at the right time for the benefit of the congregation and the pastor. Give me a case in point. Many years ago, Brother Charles Gardner was the pastor of the, or he, excuse me, he was a deacon of the church I pastored at. And uh, I had somebody that approached the church, and I spent the entire day putting this, this piece of paper together and everything else. I mean, it was, it was marvelous. It was really a great testimony. I, I will admit that to myself. And at the very end of the, of the conversation that I had with the man, Brother Charles made this statement. He goes, What's that got to do with us anyway? And I thought about what he said. Simple words. He never spoke up at all, except for this one occasion. He said, what's this got to do with us anyway? What you have is, is good, but does it really pertain to our church? In other words, it was isolating our church away from the evil that was there. And immediately I picked up the paper, and I watered it up, and I threw it away, and I said, you're absolutely right. What we have to understand is that simple words of wisdom as uttered by the deacons can have a great power not only to the church but also to the pastor. The pastor is a man. Understand this. And the pastor is only as strong and as capable as the church that he is associated with and the deacons as well. Look what else it says. 
it says, whom we may appoint over this business. In other words, they are going to be more in line with the needs of the congregation than they are of themselves. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's interesting that of the men that they called, in verse 5 it says, and it pleased them that they should choose Stephen, a man full of, of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Papyrus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and uh, Nicholas, and proselyte of Antioch. So they picked these men, these seven men, and they said, these are men that demonstrate all that to do. Now, consideration with second, or First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, not only were these men qualified based upon what the uh, apostles had said shouldn't be called, but everything else fell in line. In other words, these men were not drunkard. They were of honest report. They were men that were sober-minded. They could lead the church. They had a great desire. And that's proven, once again, by a man by the name of Stephen and another man by the name of Philip. Do you realize that, that Stephen, in chapter 6, was a man that went forth confessed But that failed. Think about this, is that the Jews, one of the things that they wanted to really push was the keeping of the law beginning with circumcision. And not only that, but what did Stephen have to say to them? That's wonderful that you would believe in that, but how many people succeeded because they tried earthly works, law, to keep them in faith? Do you realize law doesn't keep us in our faith? Law doesn't give, it, give us faith. The Holy Spirit has to open our eyes to the need of Christ so that we see him in a different light. If I was to see Jesus, he's a wonderful teacher. If I was to see Jesus, he's a wonderful man. If I see Jesus, you know, as they would see Jesus, I would see him from the physical attribute. But because Christ is now my Savior, because I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, I see him a lot differently. I see him as Lord of all. I see him as God. I see him as the one that is crucified. So here's the thing that is interesting. Stephen could take and he could confound the witnesses that were there. So in the Lord God and confound even the religious rulers of the time. The high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, he could literally confront them all and tell them the truth. That's chapter 7. Another man of great influence was a man by the name of Stephen. And here's the thing that's interesting to me. In Stephen's case, in chapter 8, we find him, first of all, as he goes into Samaria. He, too, went from Philip the deacon to something more. He became Philip the Evangelist. Now, this is amazing to me. Why we call him the Evangelist, and I want you to see this. Turn with me to chapter 26, I think it is, or 21, excuse me. Uh, Acts chapter 21, and let's go down to verse 8. And here's the thing that I want us to see about another deacon. All right, verse 8. And the next day we were at 
of Paul's company departing and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip, but no, he's no longer called the deacon. Instead, he is called the evangelist, which was of the uh, of one of the seven and abode with him. If I may point this out to you, underline that word evangelist. If you don't have the word evangelist underlined, we don't really understand the qualities of an evangelist. But if I follow after Philip, or excuse me, after Stephen, and I see his life, I find that he has all the traits of a missionary. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. We don't see the word missionary oftentimes used because, matter of fact, it's nowhere in the New Testament. But when we see the word evangelist, we can see the example of a missionary. First of all, he went to Samaria. He organized congregations. He baptized in, uh, for those who said that they believed. Then was a church established when John and Peter came to examine the congregation. Later on, we find that he was uh, snatched up and he went down to the Ethiopian eunuch. Then he was found on the way to Gaza. Then he was found to Azaltus. And then he came to Caesarea. All of those examples of missionary activity. Here's something more. And I want you to get this, verse 9. And the same man had four daughters, virgins. What was the example of those four daughters which did prophesy? Everybody loved And there's nothing wrong with the word. means that they were a witness of Christ. They were witnesses. You know, I, I can imagine that all these other men might have been married as well, including, uh, you know, Stephen as well as Philip and others. But more than anything, these were wonderful people of testimony. They could not tell, they could not wait to tell others what Christ has done for them. So when I get over here to 1 Timothy, many times in chapter 3, many times I look at it and I go, Wow, this is an amazing thing. And for that reason, I want to spend a little bit of time also talking about the deacon's wives. Do you realize the deacon wife can make or break a church as well? Yeah, I'm sorry, Carla. I'm sorry, Jamie. That's on your shoulders as well. So if we have a dispute, we're coming after you. No, just kidding. The reality is the deacon's wife is in the forefront where the pastor's wife's not. I want you to look at that. Let's go back and let's read the qualifications of the pastor, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is a true saying that if a man desires the office of a bishop, why do we say the word desire? Every man that is truly saved has a desire for the things of God. I really believe that with all my heart. And, I, I, and I'll tell you, we all struggle in that whether we should be uh, in the ministry or not. Well, if we were all in the ministry, who's going to make up the congregation? Now think about that for a moment. I remember many years ago when I went through seminary, the, the pastor said, I think that every man that goes, you know, goes into the field ought to become, first of all, a, a missionary, first of all. And, and, and agree, I, I understand what he has to say. But the reality is, is that the preaching of the Word of God is sometimes null and void because we're not allowed to practice our trade. We're not allowed to go into that area. But when I have a desire for the things of God, it begins, first of all, around God's Word. How much am I willing to give to myself and study? Now understand, please understand this, 
We are never steady as much as we are when we are challenged. One of the great times I had many, many years ago, I was a young missionary uh, that was in Jackson, Ohio. And I remember that uh, I was asked to preach on the defense of the King James Bible. This was at King's Edition Baptist Church, where Brother James Hobbs was pastor. And I studied, and I studied, and I studied, and I brought my own few little books, and I laid them out, and I said, all my information, this is where I, I took it from. And I had several preachers that came up, and they mocked me. Really mocked me, and it really bothered me. Is that And I turned around and I walked away from them. They, they were still scoffing. They were still laughing. And they were talking about how that uh, Jewel Smith had the great front end of the whole uh, congregation full of Bibles. One man looked at me and he said, I'd like for you to present that same message to the church I pastor at in California. I ended up being the pastor of that many years later. But the reality is, is that when Brother Rick Perdue asked me to come and present the same message... He used that material to literally create an ensign, if you will, to the church. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The reality of what we face every day is going to be either criticized or it's not. It begins with a desire. Now, you know what's interesting to me? I believe that at any moment I could call upon Greg, I could call upon Joe, or any man of this church and say, would you like to teach? And when I get done today, I want you to understand, my goal is to help us to understand the calling of an elder versus the calling of the deacon and the calling of the pastor. Look what else it says. In verse 2 it says, a bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given the hospitality, apt to teach. I love that part. That's why we ran in Titus as well. Brother Mike McCartney, when he told me that uh, he was not going to be able to stop back through because they're, they're having a fuel pump problem, I, I was broken hearted. I was truly broken hearted because I couldn't wait to see my brother. Yes, I spent some time with him the last time he was here. Uh, him and Shirley, we just had just the greatest time in the world while they were here in that short, brief period of time. But I long for my brother, not because of anything special. He's just a man of God. But there's a camaraderie there. There is a camaraderie that we can't ignore. Every preacher that comes through the door, we ought to be excited. When I see Brother Tom Ross, I can't wait to embrace him. When I see Brother Matt Steph, I can't wait to hold him. I called him the other day. I said, would you pray for me and my family? I just let him know these things. That is hospitality. That is love. He is apt to teach. In other words, I want you to know these things. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. You know, the thing is, I think sometimes it would do us best if we didn't have as much money in my pocket as I think I am. You know, if you know how to be good with money, praise God, I don't. Be patient, not a brawler, not covetousness. One that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Yesterday I had the opportunity... And I said, Greg, I said, I got some good news. It was good news for me. I hope it's good news for my family. My son, Tim, is going to get to come home by his own words very soon. You don't think I'm excited about that? I'm very excited about that. I get to see my son. My other son, Joseph, 
has also been promoted to a store manager. You don't think that's exciting to me? I'm very excited about that. I don't know all God has in plan, but this I know. I should rejoice whenever I can. For if a man not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. Let me just say this real quick, and I mean this with all my heart. I think we ought to take our ordination serious. And I think we ought to take our preparation serious as well. Many years ago, you know, here I am pastor of a church that uh, is in Northern California, around uh, the Sacramento area that's classified as Southern Northern California. And there was a young preacher down in Salinas, uh, California, Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Salinas. And they had no deacons. The former pastor had passed away. Well, excuse me, let me, let me say it. He passed away later. He had moved away and there was no ordained men there. And he called me and he said, Brother Prater, would you help me prepare for the ministry? I approached the church and I said, this is a request that we have, that this young man wants to be prepared for the ministry. And I grilled that young man, I grilled that young man, I grilled that young man. And then we had a special picnic at church and I asked the deacons to assemble with me and we literally listened to everything he had to say. And I remember Brother Tom Fogel, who was one of our deacons, said, I'm ready to ordain him right now. And that was just a preliminary. I have sent in on ordinations and something as simple as, what's your eschatology? If a man can't give a right answer or give an answer at all, we should not ordain him. What's your, what do you believe about church history? If they can't give an answer, they shouldn't be answered at all. What do you believe about angiology? What do you believe about pneumatology? What do you believe about... I mean, I could go on and on and on. If they can't give a solid answer, then they are a novice. Do you realize that they're a novice? We ordain them. We're just as guilty. Think about that. Not a novice that's being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Yes, I do use a lot of scripture when it speaks of the pastor, when I speak of the deacon. But here's the reason why I bring these things up. Because the fact is, every man of God has a great responsibility. Why doesn't the... Why doesn't the the Bible gives more leeway for the, the pastor's wife to speak over the deacon's wife. And I believe here's the reason. We are living in a day and age where pastor's wives are on equal footing with the pastor. Now think about this. When I, when I was a young preacher, I would have women go up to my, my ex and say, uh, don't you think that uh, the brother Prater ought to be able to uh, do this, that, and the other? And she would approach me about it, and I'd say, you're out of line. They are out of line. I would take, if they have a problem, have them come to me. Don't answer for me. Have them come to me. And the reality is, is that many times pastor's wives get it in their mind that they are the pastor. They are not the pastor. And so for that reason, the Lord God is saying, don't give them the leeway that they want in what is responsible. Not only that, but think about this. 
We have been called to the greatest vocation of all. And so for that reason, we have a responsibility to keep everything in order. It doesn't mean we do it perfectly, but we should keep it in order. Here's reason for this verse, or for me st this study to begin. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, and I want you to see this. I wrote upon it earlier, but we're going to go to ch Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to read, beginning it, you know, we can read the entire chapter, but because of time we're not going to. But I want us to consider what is being said to the man Isaiah at the very at the very beginning, verse five. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. That's me. I am undone. I'll be the first one to confess that I am an undone believer, because I am a man of unclean lips. I had someone post the other day about cursing. I, I tried to do my dead level best not to curse in public, nor curse in my heart, nor even curse in my mind. Why? Because what's in the mind will come through the heart, which will come through the mouth. I don't allow those things to happen in my mouth. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Do you realize everywhere I turn, I hear it all the time, people using slang curse words, and, go, and I've even heard people say, well, there really isn't any curse. Then don't you? For mine eyes have seen the king, the lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a, a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs off the altar, and he said, It is upon my mouth. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Man, I want that every day. How can I confess that I love Jesus Christ if there's sin in my heart? You know, the reality is, I love the verse in, in Psalms chapter 51 where it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. I remember many years ago when my kids were small, we would, we would sing this simple song. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Let me be like you in all thy ways. Give me your peace. Give me your song, let me be like you in all that I am. And, in your, and there's just so much about that particular song that let me express my joy and my salvation unto the Lord. But how often times that I do not give the joy unto the Lord as I should. Case in point, many years ago when Jeremy was really little, we were in Jackson, Ohio. I said, Jeremy, go let the van warm up. Well, he took the initiative to try to pull my other little car up on the porch. It was a standard. He had never run a standard before. And I'm putting my socks and shoes on. And the next thing I know, I feel the entire house crash, the rumble. He had started the car and ran that little car into the house. Didn't put a scratch on it, on that car, but it did damage, couldn't hurt that little car, but it did damage the house. And immediately he comes down, and I'm looking, and he's standing in the door, and he goes, Dad, I ran the car into the house. I'm going, how did you run the car? And I mean, I am living. Here's what my, here's what my statement was. How? 
a hole in the wall of the garage. You know what Jeremy said to me? I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He was sorry. But I wasn't in the mood for sorry. Later on, before church started, I said, Son, you got to help me fix it. Made it better. Didn't make it fixed, but it made it better. And it wasn't until I made peace with my son, who was also a believer in Christ. It wasn't until I had peace with my son that I was able to preach that night and not use that as an example. Also I heard, and this is the verse that I want you to focus upon. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? That was the question. That is what is also on our bulletin today. Who shall I send? And I want you to see how that Isaiah answered it. He goes, here am I. Not here I am. You see, the word I am, it signifies the Lord God. Every time you see the Lord say, I am the resurrection, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the great shepherd, I am the chief shepherd. Every time he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh to the Father by me. Every time you see the word I am, that's referring to God. But as a say, here am I. Don't you like that? Lord, I'm not worthy to be used of you. This is the thing that I love. I'm not worthy to be used of you. I'm not worthy of your sacrifices. I'm not worthy. I love this verse. He makes me worthy. How did he make me worthy? He's made my mouth worthy. He's made my heart worthy. He's made my feet worthy. Look what it says again. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I. Send me. You know, you have sin in your life. You know why we don't tell others about Jesus Christ? Because we're afraid that our sins will be exposed. Maybe we're going to face a demon that's out in the world. Maybe we're going to face a demon like the sons of Sceva did. I don't know what we're going to face. But this I know, if Christ be for me, who be before me, who can be against me? I made this statement earlier today about Peter being left and pretty much put on the shelf. I'll show you where that's found. In the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, we find that, well, matter of fact, I'm wrong on that. It's uh, the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians. We find the account. We find the recording how that, that quite literally Philip, or, or here at the Philippines, the question came up about this man of God. Was he worthy to be used of God or not? And the reality is, is that as he was standing before the for Peter, or before Paul, Paul made this statement to him, he goes, he was to blame. And the reason that he was to blame was because during the Galatian period, when these men had the opportunity to hear the word of God, they had the opportunity to listen. Well, he offended the Gentile believers by getting up and walking over to where the Jewish men that had just approached were. They were offended. And as they were offended, he suddenly became aware of the offense. 
And Paul had a difficult time because suddenly these men of Gentile trait said, maybe we're not good enough. Maybe we're not good enough. Maybe we, 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 we think we're good enough. Maybe we've been told we're equal, but maybe we're not. You know what Paul did? He said, I confronted Peter because he was to blame. And get that. He was to blame. How many of us feel like at that moment that, well, now Peter's been put on the shelf? May I point this out to you? It was never God's plan to begin with for Peter to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That Peter was never to be that man. Yes, he did reach Cornelius, but he still had a lot of things to overcome where the apostle Paul went to the Gentiles. But later on, and I want you to see this, in 1 Peter chapter 1, I want you to hear these words of the Apostle Peter. In verse 2, he says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are all equal. And we are all human beings. But you know what binds us together? We have all been redeemed by the same plan. Some people have been blessed to be called deacons, some are being blessed to be called pastors. I'm just a man, and I have known the call, but overall, it is the responsibility of the church to ever grow. My final verse, and again, I'm trying to be conscious of the time frame. I want us to go to Psalms. We're going to go to chapter 37. These are the verses that I'm trying to understand each and every day as a pastor. Down to verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? How many of us see the second part of verse 4 as the first part? And he shall bring it, and, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. If we see the desires of our heart as the first part, we're wrong. The hardest part is delighting ourselves in the Lord. One of the things I have to do in my life is delight myself purely, wholly unto the Lord. Look at verse 5 now. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Not only my heart, but my actions, my ways. Number two, I also have to trust in him. That's difficult. And when I trust in him, when I've committed my heart, when I've committed my ways, when I commit my very being to the Lord, he promises it to bring it to pass. And when all these things align, then my heart will follow after what he wants.
not right after I want. Father, again, thank you for this time that we've had together, and I pray that this message might be a benefit to each and everyone that has heard it. So guide and watch over us. May we follow you in all things, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Greg, you have a concluding song.